Hello everybody and welcome to episode 75 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Switch Perfect, Mark finally got his hands on Nintendo's latest hardware. Mark also answers the burning question of listeners everywhere, squid or kid? GTA 5, it's pretty popular as it turns out, layoffs advice, and in our book club this week, one of our first chances to talk about the Dreamcast. It's Crazy Taxi, let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast episode 75 from linktocast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher. I'm your party host as always, Dave Ryan, joined as I am each and every week by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this week? 25 episodes to go and then we've hit the big one oh the, the big century. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, we're Consistency to do... has been key, I think. We're going to have to do something special for that. Yeah. I don't know what. I, I, I've had a couple of ideas. But, I'm thinking you know, a quiz. This isn't, this isn't another one of our production meetings. Actually, you know what? I'm thinking we just get wasted. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe we do a drunk cast or something <laughs> like go. that. But uh, consistency is key. We've been racking up those those podcast numbers since we committed to a recording day. In sickness uh, and health and traveling about afar. a year ago. Yeah, we've done pretty well. We... Have we missed We missed one week, didn't we? When I was sick that time. Maybe we had to bail on a cast. Remember, I was really sick a couple of months ago. Yeah, and, and we yeah, kept yeah, putting it off sure. until the Friday, and then I ended up just not yeah, being yeah, able yeah. to do it. And I can't remember. Do we do we count like the the E three specials and stuff? And uh, now we do. We oh, didn't yeah, okay. before this year. Right, right. Um, we we had them broken out as specials. The okay. only one that don't count in the number sequence now are Game of the Year and the the wrap up, which yeah. is its own separate sure canon, shall cool. we say? So yeah, consistency is key. I don't think we're getting. A little bit better at this as time goes on. Bit. I actually did listen to it because I have my my iPod is basically now just like a husk. Does does because I have Spotify on my phone. I have very little music on my iPod now, and it's all just podcast rattling around on shuffle. And one of our very early ones came up when I was still recording off the microphone on my tablet, and <laughs> you were in England uh-huh. on on this same setup that you have sure. now. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it's 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 gotten better. Is it just like time. me making a phone call to you essentially? Yeah. Well, I think we've also both gotten a lot more comfortable doing the Skype thing. Yeah. At sure. first, it was a bit weird because I hadn't done the Skype podcasting thing before. Um. And our we hadn't got our our kind of our what roles we play on the cast mm. sorted at that stage but yeah yeah 75 in and i think we finally hit a semi-professional stride so well long may it rain sir uh-huh, long uh-huh. may it rain how have you been this week yeah i'm, I'm still away okay. i'm just kind of i'm a blow in here today to record the show i mean it's pretty much been i got a switch and i've been playing that but i'll get oh, into more that. more on that and on <clears throat> um but i saw uh dunkirk oh i did more like fun kirk am i right uh-huh oh, so you, you see it as well <laughs> i did i saw okay, it on cool. i saw it on I was going to say launch day. That's not a film term. No. I saw it on release day. <laughs> you guys did a midnight viewing. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to the midnight. I was actually going to like a fucking madman. I was coming back from Dublin. I went to see Bell and Sebastian with Brian okay, last yeah. Thursday, which was great. And by far, by the way, the most chilled out fucking gig I've ever been to in my life. I could imagine. Sorry. It was so chill. Although you say that, I saw a very, very, very early Mumford and Sons gig before like anyone even knew who they were in a church. Hmm. And that was pretty chill. 
Um, but yeah, Dunkirk. Uh, so I saw it on Sunday. And first of all, um, I don't know how it was for you, but I had about, I'd say, 40 to 50% of the audience was made up of girls between the ages of about 14 and 21. Harry Styles. Now... Nolan has said that he was not as aware of Styles' level of popularity. I would well believe that, knowing Christopher Nolan. I'm gonna pretend. Just the cynic in me is gonna call bullshit on that. But hey, you know what? You know what? It doesn't matter. Um, I'm not gonna say that the the audience that was there of young girls were there to see Harry Styles. Maybe they were interested in the Battle of Dunkirk and World War Two. Yeah, I'm gonna say that's not the case. Yeah, well, but maybe. I, I would say that the audience I saw it with was far more reflective of wanting to see a film about Dunkirk. Okay, yeah, mine because it was, uh, I think, in a in a word, history dork was uh, the profile of the audience. It yeah. was me, my girlfriend, and like a bunch of older people. Yeah, my I, other than like me, my girlfriend, and a few other people, it was pretty much everyone on summer term or school break yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in Newbridge, did you see it here in Newbridge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you'll get that here sure. because like with it being a cinema in a large town. It's yeah, of course. Um, so here's the thing. So I like Nolan films. Yeah. Um, I favorite Nolan film. Fucking despised Interstellar. I would rather but talk about how mm. much I hate this, uh, Interstellar than how much I like what, other Nolan. What, films. what is your favorite Nolan film? Uh, it's probably Dark Knight. Mm. Um, Dark Knight or Inception. I do like Inception a lot, but I mean Dark Knight. You know, Batman is well, good brother. The Prestige. I haven't seen Prestige, actually. That's so good. The one I haven't Don't seen. Don't say that to Dan that lives with us. He'll slap you in your damn yeah. face. He fucking loves the Prestige. Okay. I'll, I'll love put, Memento as well. Yeah, I like Memento as well. I I put Prestige on my list of things to see, but I really fucking don't like Interstellar. <laughs> um, but I really, really like Dunkirk. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. I've seen some people have complained about the fact that the story doesn't really kind of hone in on a, on a singular character and that dialogue is not there and i feel that those people are kind of missing the point that this isn't a story about a singular character this is about mm. the battle of dunkirk yeah. and this is a way that you've got not empty blank characters that you can kind of fill into that vessel of but it's yeah. it makes it more that you can kind of get into the story yeah the you know? story the story is the the retreat it's not individual people no it, exactly. it does i think focus on on some people but it's kind of there, there is that level of, and I think part of it is cinema audiences expect with war movies to be given in some sort of deeply personal narrative because that's what we've been kind of uh, conditioned to expect from a sure. war movie. And Nolan, I mean, this is the thing about Nolan is that <laughs> he over his kind of, and he, he does make big blockbuster films, you yeah. know, but he doesn't do it for the most part in conventional ways. He makes them, well, the, the one thing, and to to reference him in two successive weeks on the podcast, Mark Kermode um, says about Christopher Nolan, is that he makes blockbuster movies, but he makes smart blockbuster movies. He makes blockbuster movies that don't assume the audience is stupid. They yeah. assume you're smart and you will keep up. I mean, and uh, one of the, the key parts of uh, Dunkirk that I think... Uh, exhibits that is the the time dilation that goes on so that there's there's three strands in it there's the strand with mark rylance his son and georgie mm-hmm. uh, sailing across and meeting killian murphy's shell-shocked soldier and that's a day that's um yeah because the fighter pilot's the hour not, the, the, the fighter pilot's, day yeah, yeah they're the, the week they're the week yeah. yeah so yeah then there's the tom hardy as the fighter pilot trying to keep his 
try to see how much fuel in his in his tank he has to shoot down one more Nazi. Um, and then yeah, we have the 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 um the mole is yeah. the other one. Just to go back to what you said there, like I I wouldn't even go so far as to say because that can kind of come off a bit pretentious in that oh he makes smart films, but what it is is unlike. And it is what Commode says, like unlike uh, a Transformers film or a Michael Bay film, it's a case of not just banging over the head the narrative of what on the story of what's going on. It's like you allow it the audience... It expects you to keep up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even if that means maybe you need to watch it a second time just to mm. get a few of it. Because Inception, it's not a first time viewing. Okay, no, I, I, I find with a lot of Nolan's films is you need an introductory, like the first 15 or 20 minutes to get au fait with the language that the movie uses and then once you're paying attention and don't take bathroom breaks you're fine yeah um so and like the point of this story it's not as you said about any of the characters it's about the retreat of three hundred thirty thousand soldiers from dunkirk you know mm-hmm. and i think that uh nolan grabs that uh, i think that uh, the combination of him and Hans Zimmer, because the the sound in this film, oh, this is yeah, this is one thing I wanted to like. Focus just on. the when you have like the the plane, the the uh, Spitfires and whatever going over, and the, the kind of screeching sound of the planes going over, really really effective. The tension that builds up with the music and those crescendos. Yeah, even the the one thing I think Hans Zimmer does in this, because Hans Zimmer is good at these kind of like weird soundtracks to films, but I think what he does in this with the soundtrack, as well as kind of. Uh, trying to complement in every way he can the sound design of say the the fighter pilots and and, and the explosions and things like that um a really simple thing he has in his score Hans Zimmer in this movie is the the recurring motif of the ticking clock yeah which will subconsciously put in a base layer of tension in your head the whole time and kind of at the start, a lot of people have said this when they go to see the movie, they, the first time the clock starts, you hear the ticking clock and the music is a little bit tense. You think to yourself, right, this is building to something. And then you realize, nope, this is just, it's going to be this relentlessly intense the whole way through. And it is, um, the one thing I will say, a lot of people uh, will criticize the movie for, and it's one that is is quite fair of uh, Nolan's movies generally, although I'd be more forgiving of this one, is that um, Chris Nolan in the past has been um, accused of not really caring about the such things as the emotions of human beings. His movies are a lot of things, but telling heartfelt stories is not no. one of them. He is not an emotional filmmaker at all. I would compare him in the way he is cold and clinical to the likes of uh, Stanley Kubrick, yeah. who was also renowned for not being able to convey um, deep, meaningful, emotional stories. It was more just cold, calculated precision in his directing style. Um, although I do think a war movie is a genre that... Uh, definitely benefits sometimes from not having this kind of melodramatic narrative going over it you know what i mean um like look at the one of the ones that tried to put in all the soppy human interest stories back in the day pearl harbor that was fucking dreadful that movie you ever seen that movie? no i've never seen a film yeah michael bay made that movie yeah I, yeah I, even before i'd seen any well i hadn't seen the film but seeing like trailers and stuff it looks so much like that a movie's like really four hours long as well like, i had no time fucking, so. it's a horrendous yeah um but yeah, Dunkirk, uh, really good. I think your boy Harry Styles was actually pretty good, no? Well, here's, the, here's the thing, right? So I think this is a perfect kind of film for him to get into the 
the land of being in films because acting is the word you're looking for that's the one i'm looking for yeah <laughs> because they don't draw attention to him yeah. he isn't giving too much in terms of dialogue yeah. um it's just he's just no one has given too much in terms of no dialogue. yeah he's just there as part of a group of people trying to get the fuck out of dunkirk yeah. and uh i think that works yeah you know and i like that he he fits in the film in terms of that yeah. casting of these kind of just young boys basically yeah. sent to fucking war, which yeah. is you know the case. Three kind of bullet points I want to hit on before we move off this is that I really love Mark Rylance in it as kind of like as close to an emotional core of the movie as you get as the the older man with his son and the young boy uh, coming across because duty calls to save the men from Dunkirk. Um, I think Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, is really boy. good, my boy. Because normally Kenneth Branagh and I like Kenneth Branagh. Don't take this as a huge kind of uh, criticism of Kenneth, Bra- Kenneth Branagh, but Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh loves to chew the scenery, <laughs> and like his performances because he's a theatrical actor. Have his you... performances are big, you know. Like his, I love him in the Harry Potter movie he's in as Gilderoy Lockhart. But my fucking word, is that the screen just dripping have you, with the saccharine nature of his performance have you ever seen uh, his version of Hamlet no oh fuck me if you want to see some scenery yeah, cheering yeah, right, I'll I'm bet I'll bet fucking hell I remember watching that in secondary school I was about 12, 13 and I was just in awe uh, the, the one we watched in school was the Ian McKellen one Okay. Which is pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, what was the third point I wanted to raise? Oh, I, I think at this point it's a confirmed troll job uh, that if uh, Tom Hardy is going to be allowed to be in Chris Nolan movies, he has yes, to wear a mask that makes it difficult off. to understand yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's intentional. Yeah. And he was great in it. Uh, I, sure. I love Tom Hardy. Yeah, he was great. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked it. I really do actually... And I'm not usually like this, but I would like to see the film in full-on IMAX, just because of the way that Nolan yeah. films is 65mm yeah. film. Because, like, just the, the opening stretches or shots of, um, you know, the flying over the, the beach of Dunkirk, like, I'd really like mm-hmm. to see that in a full-on IMAX screen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are some people out there, the contrarians, like, ah, oh, fuck Nolan films. No, Nolan's a great director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not having it. Uh, quick roundup of uh, stuff. Comic-Con was last weekend. Yeah. And there's a couple of bits and pieces coming out here now. I'm just going to jump around because I have a like a uh, just a YouTube page open here with where some of the trailers had dropped, some of the things we got to see from Comic Con. Um, we got to see a trailer for Bright, which is the original um, Netflix fantasy cop movie about like a world in which kind of um, human beings live with fairies. It's Will Smith and Joel Kinnaman, I think it is. Or Joel Edgerton, I can't remember which one of them. Um, and yeah, it looks kind of... Hmm, Will Smith is a magnetic presence, but I'm not so sure. And it's kind of like a bit with the subtlety hammer of the 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 kind of way people treat fairies as being an allegory for racism. Um, so I'm not so sure on that. Some people are excited by it. Fair play. Uh, have you seen the Ready Player One trailer, Mark? Yes, I have. What was your take on the Ready Player One trailer? Reference Orama. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> now, here's here's a thing. So everyone's been fucking losing their minds over this uh, trailer. And yeah, we've had been... a rehash of the argument that was all over the place when the book came out about... So I never saw the... Oh, yeah, the, the I... torrent of, like, this... Either this is a really cool bit of kind of pop culture nerd fiction 
versus this is terribly written uh, nostalgia for nostalgia's sake writing. Yeah, um, I only read about half of the book. I didn't get the whole way through it, but it's fine. I mean, here's the thing. I'm in, in no means any kind of literature critic, so I'm not going to sit here and say one thing or the other. But people just were fucking losing their minds over this trailer. Uh, mm. And I, hey, look, if you're going to be passionate about something, then I guess go for it. More power to you. Um, I just it was a trailer. Like yeah. it just looks like any other big blockbuster film trailer that I've seen. Yeah. So whatever. It's cool, like uh, blink and you miss it cameos from different intellectual properties in there. I didn't know until it was pointed out to me afterwards that uh, Harley Quinn and the Joker are in there. Oh, fair um, but the one that caught my eye is the Iron Giant. Yeah, which sure. is like. Uh, you better be sure what you're doing if you're going to touch something as beloved as the Iron Giant. Still the greatest role in Vin Diesel's career, I think. Um, we got a trailer for season two of Stranger Things, and mm-hmm. I need that show in my life. Starts off with a dragon's lair uh, little vignette, which is pretty cool. Uh, we got another trailer for Thor Ragnarok, and boy, does oh that look my. like a hell of a film. It they, they have given it the Guardian Sheen, and you uh-huh. know what? I don't give a fuck. Yeah, it just is. It really, like, acid kind of... Oh, man. Uh, trippy fucking... And the poster. The, the, look up yep. the Comic-Con poster that was released for it, everybody, and then look up the version of it where they photoshopped everyone to be Jeff Goldblum in that poster. I, I saw someone tweeting, like, it looks like a quote tweet within a quote tweet within a quote tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The original tweet. Yeah. But it's really cool. It's different, you know what I mean? I really hope that film is good, because the trailer just... Ooh. And we got another... Uh, we got four-minute-long, four-minute-long Justice League trailer. I have no interest in that film. Which, again, is like it it is everything about the the dc expanded universe in one where there's stuff where you're going oh yeah 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 and then right into something where you're like Ooh. i just <laughs> here's the thing all right there, there is so much you can get out of the differences between the four trailer and the dc trailer right mm-hmm with the thor trailer you get a little bit in terms of um the characters uh, and just the general idea of what's going on. Like, yeah. I watched the Justice League trailer. I had no idea what was going on. And it was just all, here are the biggest fucking explosions we can give you enjoy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, oh, oh, look, it's Aquaman, it's Superman. It's got a couple of, it's it's got a couple of the, well, Superman still hasn't been in any of it. No, because no. the whole thing is like, I was saying to Brian, I was like, do they honestly think that anybody thinks Superman's actually dead? Yeah. You know, because, like, it's... I don't know. No, I don't, no I don't, one right. believes it. But anyway, um, it has a couple of the red flags that all the um, the 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 DC, the bad DC movies have, and that's, like, uh, a, a ridiculous amount of collateral damage, a CG enemy Dragon Ball Z fight, um, and what was the third one? Oh, yeah, like, a really, like, unnecessarily dark tone, filter on the camera. Um, but again, I, like I was looking at it and going, my God, I would really enjoy this movie if it was just Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot and Ezra Miller. Because everything about Ezra Miller's Flash, I really like mm. and really think like he's the exact kind of sarky prick I want to be Barry Allen. Yeah. Um, she obviously is fucking amazing. And I feel so sorry for sad Ben Affleck <laughs> because he genuinely... Like and I think even the critics of uh, Batman versus Superman will tell you that guy has the potential to be one of the great Batman actors. Yeah, he's, like he's un- he was unbelievable in Batman versus Superman. It's just everything that was around him. He's a great Bruce Wayne. The fact yeah. that he was great in it, and I think he's even really good. Like 
in the gear as Batman. I think his Batman voice, the digitized Batman voice, is way better than the where is she that uh, your boy Christian yeah, Bale was just doing. Pop the mic somewhat serious there. Thanks anytime, for that. anytime. Um, but like, it, yeah, it's just everything that's around him. And uh, just to finish off this segment before we go into games, this is my favorite story from this week. Have you seen the story with uh, Universal Studios and the reshoots of this movie over at Warner's? No, with Henry Cavill. No. Oh my god, oh, this is the best thing ever. It's the most DC expanded universe thing to ever happen, right? So, basically, they filmed a lot of this film before Batman, or they started filming a lot of this film before Batman vs. Superman came out. Okay. So, they pretty much went straight from wrapping Batman vs. Superman into filming Justice League. So, they hadn't seen the, shall we say, critical reception that Batman versus Superman would get and had already got a lot of this movie in the can when they realised, oh, fuck, we should probably change some shit here because people really don't like some of the stuff we've been doing. So Zack Snyder was doing that film um, and unfortunately, it was a horrendous tragedy in the Snyder family earlier this year in March. Their daughter committed suicide. Yep. Um, and Zack Snyder and his wife, who is the main producer on the film, stepped away. And Joss Whedon has come in now to finish off principal production. And they're also doing a huge amount of reshoots uh, over, I think, this month and next month. Um, <laughs> and it has led to an argument between Warner, who are shooting the Justice League, and Universal Studios. Because Universal Studios are in the, min- are in the middle of shooting the sixth Mission Impossible movie, in which Henry Cavill stars... In that movie, Henry Cavill has a moustache. <laughs> okay, right. Universal Studios will not allow him to shave that moustache to come back to reshoot scenes as Superman. Okay. So now, Warner Brothers are having to spend, I can't remember what the exact figure was, but millions of dollars to CG out a moustache in the reshoots. Are you shitting me? I'm not even kidding you. It's the most perfect thing in the world. Like the DC expanded cinematic universe, which is known for its excessive use of CG, is now having to pay an excessive amount of money to CG out a moustache because they couldn't get their film finished on time. It's it's amazing. It's it's truly amazing. It's not amazing. It is. Oh, it is. It is amazing in its own perfectly fucked up sort of way anyway i think it's about time we talk about some video games here mark playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 scott you are the salt of the earth well thanks i meant scum of the earth thanks uh, I'm going to lead off this week again, Mark, because I think for the third successive week I have the least to say. Uh, I am still uh, getting deep into that Fallout 4. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my thoughts so far, I'm about... I'd say about 20 hours in Are now. you further than when you were the last oh, one? Oh, considerably yeah? further, okay. yeah. Um, the advice that I was given to go straight to Diamond City as soon as I can uh, and avoid the side quests with the Minutemen because they are just tedious fetch quests has been well-founded advice because the game definitely picks up considerable steam once you get to Diamond City. I think it is a crying shame that that game was the technical mess it was when it came out because I think I would have loved this a lot more at the time if I had the patience to stick with it. 
um, if it had worked properly. And there's still technical hiccups here and there. Um, I think it's a reasonably well-written game. That said, um, when you are in dialogue scenes, uh, things go weird. Like sometimes technical things go weird where there is a like a really awkward elongated pause because the game hasn't figured out it needs to throw up the next set of options yet so there'll be like a couple of seconds of you staring at the other character staring at you before the the dialogue thing will pop up um i also think so when you get dialogue options you have like all your face buttons are different options one is usually the straight answer like the kind of no nonsense answer one is usually the caring considerate answer one is the sarcastic or mean answer. And then sometimes the other one can be something like trying to persuade them to do something. So if it's like someone trying to solicit you for a quest, it could be the persuade them to pay you more if you do it button. Okay, now right. do these um, change the story or do they change like, do you have like some sort of character stats that takes notice? Yeah, so um, not, not sometimes not directly in relation to that character. Now, sometimes there are situations where if you handle things diplomatically, you can resolve a conflict without having to fire a shot. It's always good. And there are stats you can, there are like are things on your skill tree that you can plow your upgrade points into to make you more persuasive that you can do that and that you can get more money out of people for doing quests as well mm-hmm. um, and get them to hand you over stuff like like items and shit. Um, the main thing it affects though in terms of stats is your companion, whatever companion's with you, will like or not like you based on the way you act. So say the the one I carry the, the 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 companion I have with me at the moment is a guy called Nick Valentine, uh, who I think a lot of people will say is the best companion in it. Nick Valentine, for the, those of you who don't know, who I'm assuming includes you, Mark. No, it include me. Is a, a synthetic, so an android, who is a private detective, and talks like Dick Tracy, and it's fucking brilliant like he'd like he'd refer to women as dames or broads like that's his kind of the way he talks just like full-on madmen yeah and he talks like this see oh, <laughs> he has that kind of voice God. but it's like in the best way um is full of all that is set in like the 50s no no it's set in a fic no so <laughs> right it's so like fictional box boston or something isn't it it's yeah but what it is is it's a version of reality where 1950s Americana, there was no Cold War. So technology didn't move, say, as fast. We didn't get from, say, the the style of the 1950s to the style of now as quickly. So I think the war, quote-unquote, happens in 2077 or somewhere around that. But everything still looks like it's in the 50s, just technology at a basic level is very advanced because there's a lot of clean nuclear power. Right. Because that's what innovation has gone into instead of this arms race and space race with the Russians. Then there's the, the nuclear war with China, I believe it is. And you, as a character in this, then, are in your vault for 200 years in cryostasis. So it's about the year 2277, I think. Okay. When this game is taking place in, yeah, so nu- does nuclear-destroyed Boston. This Dick Tracy motherfucker, like, th- does he He's an s- android that was developed by this company, this mysterious company called the Institute, who I'm seems presuming, to be the big bad of the game. I'm presuming he sticks out somewhat fierce. No, well, the thing is, right, so in the game, he sticks out because he kind of looks like 
sort of like a person but with the dead eyes of an android and because he's an older model like the face has started to crumble away and you can see the circuitry in his neck That's and stuff interesting. like that okay so it's a cool kind Proper of kind of cyberpunk yeah and in the in the game when you come across other synthetics they're called synths um they come in two forms as it's explained to you uh there are the ones that just look like robots and then there are the ones that are so convincing so nick is somewhere in the middle and then there's the ones, the, the latest ones, who I I don't think I've come across any of them yet, but the whole point is that they're so convincing you will think they're human until it's too late. Sure. Um, but yeah, Nick Valentine is my compadre, and he likes it when I'm nice to people. He likes it when I help them out, and he likes it when I'm able to hack computer terminals because his special perk is that he can hack into computer terminals for you so you're able to do something clever like hack a computer terminal or lockpick something by yourself without his help um he likes that and that ups your stats quite a lot and they help you out more they're also handy to have companions because they'll carry a bunch of stuff when you're full up Mm -hmm. um but the thing about yeah i I was kind of i got off point there because i wanted to talk about the, the dialogue options one of the things i really don't like about it is so you have those four dialogue options but it's not always clear to you which like you will only get a a very brief blurb describing what you're going to say to them so it'll be like five or six words but when you actually hit the button it'll be a full paragraph of talking so you're to get from the five or six words what you think the kind of the gist of what you're going to say is and make your choice based on that but it's not always very clear so sometimes i will want to give the heartfelt answer and end up giving the sarcastic answer because sometimes it'll say just sarcastic answer but most of the time it won't Oh, right. Uh, so sometimes I will give the wrong answer. Like, I try to go through it being nice so that people are nice to me. Um, and sometimes I've ended up being an absolute git to people by accident. Um, so that's not good. Apparently there's a PC mod that beefs it out so it actually gives you a proper synopsis of what you're saying for each face button. That's handy. Mm-hmm. But um, on PS4, oh, we don't have that. So, yeah, it's... It's, it's pretty good. It's holding my interest so far. I'm getting used to the shooting now. Starting to do a few more weapon mods and things like that to make myself um, a bit beefier. I've upped my health a couple with my uh, a couple of bits of my upgrades. It makes it easier. I've upped my carry weight, which gets rid of the encumbrance issue for now that I talked about last week. And the other thing I have... Um, I think there's one that's like Junkrat I can't remember what it's called there's there's a or scavenger it's a thing you can put upgrades that's into where like basically anytime you loot something you're more likely to find more ammo so ammo scarcity isn't really an issue for me at the moment anyway unless I start missing shots left right and center so yeah enjoying Fallout 4 so far and it's got that Zelda quality as well that the, the thing Breath of the Wild has where if you wander too far off the beaten path you will find yourself in a world of hurt very quickly um, although generally the thing with Fallout 4 is the further south you head, the tougher it gets. It, okay. it almost works that way in kind of waves that the closer you get to the very bottom of the map, um, the, the tougher it gets. Is that where like the later stages of the game are meant uh, to take Yeah, because the critical right. path is slowly forcing me further and further south, so I'm guessing that's what the story is. Right. I have to head through a thing called the Glowing Sea now, which is just a radioactive ocean, and I need my set of power armor to go through that, but... I tried to just wander south so that I could get a quick travel point and then go back, get my power armor, and just quick travel to there rather than walk the whole way with my power armor. I got about halfway down and I got killed to fucking shreds. So I think I need to just chill out for a bit and upgrade and do some side quests before I, I tackle that part. But yeah, enjoying it so far. Mark, 
You got a switch. I did. Well, quickly, just to give an update from last week. So I finished near for the fifth time to get. Is that like, the final time? That's the final time. It's basically Space Invaders with the credits. I'm not seeing what the big fucking deal is. Like it's cool, but whatever. Um, yeah, we'll probably talk more about that game at the end of the year because there are things to be said that I still haven't fully gone into yet. Um, you need some time to stew with your thoughts. Possibly, possibly. But anyway, I have a Switch, and it's great. Yeah. I like the Switch. It's a really nice piece of kit, isn't it? It is. I don't want to leave the house with it, though, because it's so... It. I'm pro- probably sure it's not fragile, but it feels like it's a fragile piece of kit. Mm. Um, Whereas I, most times I leave the house, will have my Switch on me. Yeah. I don't have it today, because my bag was full coming back. I, I've only taken it once with me. I took it to the girlfriend's at the weekend, but I only played it briefly. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I got Splatoon, it was part of a bundle deal, and so Splatoon, if you played the original, it's more Splatoon. Which, which is not a bad thing. is not a bad thing. It feels very much the case that, um, you know, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was basically the original Mario Kart 8, but on the Switch. Which was great, because no one had a Switch. So, oh, Sorry, no one had a Wii U. So yeah. everyone got to play Mario Kart 8 this time. And I feel that's kind of the case here as well. Now, there are a few differences. Uh, first of all, while I appreciated the Wii U and the Wii U tablet, I didn't fully get on board with the way that Splatoon played in terms of moving the tablet around and having the the game on the screen yeah um it feels a lot more incentive to play splatoon on a tv with just the controls Mm. Uh, same thing here i don't really enjoy playing splatoon on the tablet with like away from the the the, i believe the um the the three official terms are tv mode uh, desktop mode is when it's on the kickstand and you've got the, the controller. Okay. And then uh, I think the mode you're talking about is tablet mode. I think that's what they call right, it. Right, so tablet mode is just not 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 the way to play Splatoon, I yeah. feel. Certainly not in bed. Because also you can't like hold it hold it up because... Um, then you feel sleepy and it hits you in the face. Well, there is that. But also because it uses the gyro controls, it, the gyro motion in the controls, mm-hmm. um, like you need to have the controls at a certain angle. Otherwise, you're just kind of constantly looking up or constantly looking down. And you even though you try to reset the camera it only kind of resets to a certain fixed point mm-hmm. so um yeah you just need to be kind of sitting upright on the playing it on the tv um so how much of the original splatoon did you play like a few hours like not a, not a huge amount because i'm not a big multiplayer guy i think it's fun but multiplayer shooters never really hold my attention for very long see this is the thing right um Splatoon is, and you're probably aware of this, but Splatoon is so just not a quote-unquote, like, multiplayer shooter, you know? Um, if you just jump straight into the the online mode, the first thing that you can do, and the only thing you can do until you get to level 10, and it takes a fair few hours to get through it, is the Turf War. And even though I've, I've unlocked that and I've got the other modes available to me, I just keep coming back to Turf War. Because all you have to do is um, you just need to have more of your team's coloured ink on the surface than your opponent's. And it's such a simple concept, but it works beautifully every time, because you can go a whole three-minute round without ever having to deal with another 
person on the opposing team. Yeah. If you want to be aggressive, sure, go for it. But like, I'm finding half the spicy. I'm finding half the time that I'll spend the first two minutes decking like my half of my area because the the maps are all symmetrical. So like, what is one what is on one side exactly the same on the other side? You know. Um, so I'll deal with the first two minutes just covering all of my side of the map and then i'll spend the last minute sneaking past through um any of the opponents trying to get to their side of the base and then trying to cover parts of their area while they're simultaneously trying to do it to my side as well and there are certain maps that that feels certainly more um incentive to like an incentive to do uh, there's one map murray towers which is quite vertical and one of the things I really like about, I don't remember if it was in the original Splatoon, but it's certainly here in Splatoon 2, is you can do um, like a quick sort of fast travel to wherever one of your opponents is on the map. So basically you can press um, X or Y, I, I still can't remember my face buttons for the Switch. I think it's X, you can press X and it brings up a top down view of the map. And it shows you where your three teammates are. Yeah. And you can select one of them. And then you press A or B. And it will kind of launch you up into the air. Give you kind of a, a quick view down of where everyone is. And then land you where your uh, uh, partner was at the time that you selected. Which is a really good way, to, quick way to get across the map. So if you've got a friend who, a partner, that has gotten to the other side of them, their map, you can quickly get yourself over there. It's very handy in the last minute as well. If you've been um, splattered by one of your opponents and you start back in your base, you can quickly get yourself into the middle of the map. So it's a really effective and handy thing to do. Can't remember if it's in the original, but it's great that it's here. Um, the single player campaign is very much the same uh, as the original where it's just a bunch of these kind of weird platform type scenarios kind of similar to the the uh, secret stages in Mario Sunshine where they these just kind of obtuse platforms that just kind of you jump from one to another dealing with kind of single challenges mm -hmm. usually gives you a me mechanic in one level um, and then you kind of expand on that mechanic across the level until you get to the end. That's great. Um, yeah, you, you know, it'll make you go through all the weapons. And that's fine. Uh, there are a couple of issues. One, that the weapons that you unlock, it doesn't match between the multiplayer and the single player. But I can kind of see why, because of the pacing of the single player. Uh, you have to come out of the lobby to change your weapons. That's really annoying. It, when it updates that there are new maps, it goes through the whole fucking thing with the two presenters to say, hey, here are the new maps available for all of them. That's a complete fucking waste of time. Um, Salmon Run is great, but it's only available online for a couple of hours every now and again. Why that is the case, I have no idea, but that's just Nintendo being Nintendo. I haven't tried the online chat because... Fuck it. Fuck it. Um, yeah, it's, it's super, super enjoyable. And... I mean, I'm getting into games pretty much within a minute, which is a sign that obviously the game's only come out. Yeah. But, you know... Long may it continue. More hopefully. people have a Switch. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to... I'm sticking with it. Um, I'm only using the, the, the roller because, you know, get all of the floor done and uh, just run over people. Haven't dealt with any of the other weapons, really. Splatdoolies are supposedly quite good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Because they have... There's like a dodge roll... There is a dodge roll. It's well, it's only for one weapon. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the Splatdoolies have some sort of jumping yeah, dodge roll thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the dual uh, uh, weapons, yeah, you can dodge roll with them. 
Um, they also have a cool like what looks like I think I saw a gif of like a cool jumpy spinny shooty thing that you can get. Yeah, like it's got all the the special moves and power ups as well. Uh, there's one weapon which is a bucket. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yep, um, it just literally just scoops up a bunch of paint and flings it. Um, there's the ink brush which is like you can kind of zip across the map doing like these sort of singular lines and then you can kind of like quick fire with it yeah like there's a lot of diversity with the weapons uh the last thing i will say is that the the matchmaking is still a little bit clunky there have been a few times where i've ended up in team with three players using a roller so that's a bit annoying apparently as well um i heard this from giant bomb um it unless you're using that stupid app it's very difficult to keep going into matches with your friends the only way to keep going with the same team of people seems to be match uh, like getting people into a party through the app which is <laughs> not ideal well i know that app i've downloaded the app okay it's garbage yeah <laughs> i mean i know there is a, it's a web page there is a there is the the private party mode in mm. the the lobby but i haven't tried it with anyone yet to see so yeah. i'm gonna try it at some point report back uh, if I can get into that and see how that works. But, I mean, considering it's Nintendo, wouldn't surprise me if it is actually garbage. So Splatoon, good. It's, yeah, it's great. Okay, let's talk about all things in the news. News on the mark! A quick update to start the news this week. Get it out of the way on the Alex Mara situation. We probably shouldn't be hearing much more for a while. Um, the the last update came from, and I want to I want to plug the show. Uh, look for the YouTube channel Lawful Masses with Leonard French. He is kind of the uh the the go to attorney on YouTube to explain these matters of copyright strikes and things like that. And he's actually agreed pro bono to represent Imago Softworks against Alex Maurer in this whole lawsuit. So. He knows what he's talking about because he's in those hearings, so it's not hearsay and uh, conjecture from him. He's going on what actually is happening in the court. Um, and we won't be hearing anything for a while because the the judge has given uh, some sort of continuance because Alex Maurer, after the the basically the opening hearing, um, had fired her attorney and uh the the judge has given the new attorney a couple of months or a month no about a month to to get used to the the kind of ins and outs of the case before they proceed to the next hearing so i don't think we'll be hearing back on anything till the end of august but the restraining order between alex maurer and the doing of dcm dmca strikes has been upheld so uh at least there won't be further strikes coming unless she's going to uh, go against a court order that she's not allowed to do that so everything should be quiet i think once the dmcas go two weeks without her being able to answer them they disappear so everybody should start to get their videos trickling back to them soon enough with no official copyright strikes in their channels hopefully um, but keep an eye to Leonard French's channel if you are interested in any updates on that case. Uh, Mark, Vice have done some layoffs and it's affected, uh, to some respect, Waypoint, which is the kind of the gaming arm of Vice, run by um, 
Austin Walker, formerly of Giant Bomb, who of, of whose content I am a fan. Yeah, so there was layoffs in a few areas um, like Vice Sports and Motherboard, um, yeah. which is where you can go and read some of my work. Yeah. So Motherboard is more, it, at this point now that they have Waypoint is more geared towards tech. Yeah, and, and just the kind of weirder side of tech as well. And Waypoint is kind of games and gaming lifestyle. Sure. Yeah. yeah. A gaming culture, if you yeah, will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the word. I was um, yeah, so they laid off a few people there, and then they uh, laid off the UK editor, Mike Diver, who mm-hmm. uh, is a person I'm very much a fan of his work, um, has given me some good feedback. That's, over... an, that's a name I believe I've seen a lot of bylines, but it doesn't immediately spring to mind what from exactly. Yeah, so, but he, he's done a ton of work of kind of building the, the, the Waypoint brand over the last 12 months or so. Uh, and so basically this all has to do with... Way, uh, Vice kind of making inroads to doing more video content mm. and I do understand to some degree the uh, the ease that there is with getting more ad revenue from video content yeah. as in regards to written content mm. but I still think it's a great shame um, the number of kind of new voices that I've seen prop up uh, on Waypoint over the last 12 months um, who have been people that I have then gone and followed and, and got more interested in their work. Yeah. Um, just It's just a real shame, really. Yeah, I also think it's important for freelancers who don't necessarily have the skill or capability to edit Waypoint quality videos themselves to submit as freelancers. Written is the way in for them. Yeah. So if you're starting to gear yourself away from written, then you're kind of making it harder for freelancers to get in. Um, there's an interesting sidebar to this and that's um there's a podcast i want to pimp the name of here that we've actually talked about off the air called the 1099 oh yep yep which interviews people from ga- games development and media both sides of the fence there and they i had, uh, listened Abby Russell to Russell this week yeah which was a really show. good interview yep. um they've had almost a full set of giant bomb pretty and much giant bomb shoemaker next week i think isn't yep, it shoemaker yeah. next week so i think it'll just be jason alexis and um dave snyder as the only people who were at one time officially affiliated has ben been on ben oh ben as well yeah. ben as well um and i suppose if you want to count kessler sure yeah even though he was only officially an intern there <laughs> uh but everybody else east and west has yeah. been on at this point um because they had drew on yep yep um, he was on the other week but the, the one i want to draw attention to in relation to this story was the i actually finally got round to listening to the Jeff Gersman interview last night. And I generally think, and he, there's a reason, not just because we're fans of Giant Bomb's content. Um, there, there are reasons why anybody who's into gaming media or learning more, deepening their understanding about games should always seek out Jeff Gersman's content. And I do genuinely think, and I, I know I am prone to hyperbole at the best of times, but I think he is the most important mind still working in games journalism. He's been doing it since the fucking beginning when Video Games Boss started in 1996. He is one of the most articulate and intelligent people to talk about, like, trends in in games and games journalism um he's not a guy who carries in personal prejudices he looks at things very objectively but he was talking about how like giant bomb is 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 unique among gaming websites in that it runs on a subscription model rather Mm -hmm. than an ad-based model but he was talking about this written versus video content thing in this interview and he had an interesting thing to say is that like giant bomb itself much like a lot of other gaming uh websites have geared more towards podcasts and video content in recent years podcasts because it's probably the 
the easiest way to, to get this stuff across because, like, when we do this podcast, for example, like, this peer behind the curtain. Mm, I'll turn the mic. Uh, we peer behind the curtain for a second. Um, it takes us maybe, like, an hour to prep for this show. Like, putting together the news, reading through the news, writing my little spiel at the start, things like that. And then just the recording time goes into it. When I do a big written piece, it takes longer than that. And if we were to do video pieces as well... Oh, video Not pieces, just video stream, just, but if we're doing video pieces, that, that is requires the amount editing. of time it takes to do a written piece plus the time it takes to edit that down into a script and then to record and edit the video as well. That's even longer. Yeah. But he said, even though we're moving towards a more video centric in terms of like just gameplay videos, raw gameplay videos or slightly edited gameplay videos, as opposed to kind of standing in front of a screen and talking. Um, he said, like, it is very important not to lose sight of, of, of writing. Writing is still very very important in terms of like getting those deep dives into things yeah and i think it would be sad to to lose that kind of stuff because that's how we got into to games journalism like i think as fans i think the thing with um someone like giant bomb as well and uh, some of the other websites is it does come down to the the personality that you have involved like when mm. they had someone like austin walker or patrick klepik yeah you know they are more they're your written word men exactly so but obviously someone not to say they're not good on video or podcast and that's not to say that someone like dan Riker can't you know bang out a, a solid 2000 3000 word review of mm. whatever because yeah. he's just as capable of doing that he was and... doing that game informer for years exactly yeah, yeah. um but I do think it's a shame, A, just personally for, for Mike Diver, because I'm a fan of his work, and it's, right. I, I don't want to see anyone lose their jobs. No. Um, but it's a way that some people who... like The simple fact is, you know, we are going towards a model where... Um, and I'm seeing it for myself as someone who, you know, tries to get my work out there or tries to get work on a mm. freelance kind of model... Um, there are so many places, certainly when I'm applying for things or seeing job openings come available, where they're like, hey, you know, um, this is a, a, a staff writing role, but have um, we desirable qualities in Photoshop, uh, Premiere, yeah. all that kind of stuff, video production. Um, and well, that, just... that, that again goes back to something Jeff said, which is that when he looks at, at resumes for the job, it's like one of the things that made the likes of Abby Russell stand out to him was that she has an improv background. Yeah. You know, as well as being a video editor. Well, I mean, because like, you're pretty much in most places, not just Giant Bomb, but in most places now, you're going to, if you're going to have a full time staff role, at some point, you're, you're going, going to, to have to do a little video. bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, even stuff like you, even for the UK, where you got Video Gamer or Eurogamer, you know, they've all but even got their the big ones like, uh, like IGN people come in and out of the, like, there's revolving doors in and out of their podcasts and, yeah a lot of their written reviews get turned into video reviews. Some of them are presented by the journalists themselves. Some of them are presented by like uh, Naomi or one of the, like the, the on-camera personalities. Yeah. And the simple fact is there are some people who are um, excellent writers who simply don't have either, don't know anything about video production or certainly just are not the kind of people that feel comfortable being on front of camera or yeah. whatever. Uh, and to just even think about taking that away from them the yeah. ability to write just because they can't do this or they don't want to do this other side is yeah. i mean it will never fully go away it, yeah. it, it will be too extreme that but there should be a, a balance exactly again like there's the other side of things there are guys who are like really really good games journalists like personalities and things like that but may not have the most striking pros in the world yeah the the one that that strikes out to me immediately is greg miller yeah 
who like I never he never stood out to me as a writer when he'd write reviews there was nothing about his reviews where I was like god damn that stands out from the crowd mm. but as an on-camera personality that guy has fucking built an empire yeah exactly you know what I mean because yeah. he's just it, uh, just a magnetic personality on the screen so yeah there needs to be this this balance I think because the things um, a lot of kind of people who are really really granular about games like us are interested in now are the kind of the real deep dive stuff which mm-hmm. you're only really getting in written content and sometimes in videos only really with like waypoint and with daniel dwyer's no clip as well well it's that and you're also finding and you know credit to them for the ones that are doing it even without the patreons but you are finding there are people on um youtube that I do have Patreons with the likes of um, Game Makers Toolkit mm-hmm. and, you know, No Clip, um, Super Bunny Hop is great, uh, Matthew Matosis. But then there are, you know, there are people out there who have only like a thousand views on YouTube, but they're doing some incredible stuff looking yeah. at games that, from perspectives that we've never involved before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is talent out there. And again, the, it, there has to be bits of everything. Well, the, pro- the, the, the problem is businesses trying to, like the, the kind of the corporate wing of these outlets trying to figure out how to monetize of it course, properly of course um that's that's where that's all but anyway we could be talking about this for ages because we're very much inside baseball people here on the cast um techland uh developers of what i think mark for my money is still one of the best games of this generation and a real sleeper hit of 2015 dying light they've announced that they're going to do a third year a third year of free DLC and, and and a bunch of different content. Are you surprised updates. by this? Um, we talked about this a little bit yesterday in our in our little Discord chat that we have for the show. Um, I am and I'm not. Um, I'm not in as much as Techland really seem like the kind of like their philosophy is games as a service. We want to keep as long as people are playing. We want to keep adding stuff. In one perspective, from a business point of view, it also makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. if they they claim in this article that they still have up to 500,000 people still actively playing this game that came out in January of 2015, let's not forget, um, it makes a certain level of business sense that there's still 500,000 people playing. If we put in some paid DLC as well, or if we can incentivize people to keep playing, we can still keep making money off this game. You know, because the more people that go, oh, people are still playing this, I'm going to pick that up. Oh, maybe I will get that expansion pass for the the following DLC, which is really good and different things like that, that they can still make a, a little bit of money off it. But um, it also is kind of surprising to me because the, the, the kind of the, their bosses are Warner, who are known for kind of striking while the iron's hot, shall we say, with, with sequels. They're not going to wait around forever and let you dwell on content patches for the game you have. They're going to want you to move on to a new game as fast as possible. Um, and maybe it's that they have their eye off the ball trying to convince Rock, uh, Rocksteady to do more uh, licensed DC games so that they can you know, have another license to print money that they haven't been focusing on Techland. But I would have thought two and a half years on that they would be focusing on a Dying Light 2. 
because I think that game would have achieved much bigger things had it not come out kind of weird and in January. If you remember, there was a delay with the physical edition where the digital edition came out about a month before the physical one because mm-hmm. there was a real fuck up in production. They ended up giving a bunch of DLC away for free, I think, as a make piece for that. But um, yeah, a little bit surprising, a little bit not. What are, you, what are your kind of impressions on that? I mean, I haven't spent much time with Dying Light. Yeah, so. you pretty much just sat down with me that one. That's very not a Mark Robinson game. Uh, no, too much tension. Tension. My, my, my poor old heart. Being, this ticker being can't attacked take that. in the night by yeah. horrific-looking nightmare factories. I have to do with my girlfriend as it is. Um, Ooh, <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> Love you, Laura. Uh, <laughs> look, if if they think they can still make money out of it, and yeah. as far as I'm aware, the reception for pretty much every piece of content they've had out there has been good to great. Yeah, it's an unbelievable game. It's such a good game. Man. Then it, sure, I've got no issues with it. Like genuinely, people who don't have this game, if you're looking for, because this is the perfect time of the year for games you may have missed out on from before, because there's not a lot coming out at the moment. You've only got about another month before Madden comes out, which is the traditional start of silly season in terms of content release. Yeah. So if you're looking for something to buy. Uh, there's very few games I would recommend more from this generation. Like, it's right up there for me in terms of, uh, like, entertainment value with The Witcher and a few others. Like, there's obviously not as much in it as The Witcher. But in terms of games where I picked up, um, by the end of it, I was like, fuck, that was really, really good start to finish. Yeah. Dying Light is amazing. Um, just before we go to the next piece of news, uh, I've just seen a tweet that I, I need to bring to your attention. Please bring this tweet to my attention. So, there are... Hot off the presses there are pe- not by the time well, you listen to this I wouldn't say it's really hot off the press there are people that backed a particular tier of uh, Mighty Number no. 9 ah. but that are only now getting perks of that tier that they purchased or backed uh, one of the tiers uh, earned you a, a kind of special edition package, which was like a kind of SNES version of the box with a manual. So very kind of yeah. traditional retro style. Like the way Ukulele did one with an N64 box. Yeah. And so I've seen the box and the box looks great. It comes with a manual as well. The, like, you know, kind of very traditional. But the manual doesn't actually fit inside the box. Ah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Would you say that that's a development that would make the uh, the people producing it cry like an anime fan on prom night? Oh my god. And I've also just seen that Mighty Gun Vault Burst, which is kind of like an offshoot of Mighty Number no. 9, is mm. actually really good. So I'm probably going to get that, because it's on the Switch. And I have a Switch now, so I can do that. <laughs> just as many times as you can, <laughs> you can put that in as possible. Mark, it shocked you when we were gathering notes for this, for me, to t- when I told you this bit of information. But the top-selling physical game in the UK for the first half of 2017 was none other than Grand Theft Auto 5. What the fuck? In September it will be three years since that game came out. No, 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 seriously. What the fuck? Uh, it's incredible. Now, again, it, it bears repeating that this is physical games and because we're moving more towards a digital future, um, it's not representative necessarily of total sales, but... Here's the thing. Um, th- there was one kind of point uh put forward to me the other day that kind of puts it all into perspective is that the ps4 keeps selling you know they're yeah. shifting units every week yeah. and so what Despite is the fact that there's not really much coming out like first party wise but hey it's you... just because it's so far ahead everyone like oh i'm gonna finally jump to this gen of consoles oh all my friends already have a have ps4 GTA. i'm just gonna like the sales are selling more by themselves yes yeah. like it's a machine it's uh i, I think that is one of the the 
the core reasons why GTA 5 keeps selling is just people are buying PS4s and they're like, well, I need some games. What shall I get? Oh, fuck it. I'll get GTA 5. Oh, yeah. Minecraft. Because Minecraft, Minecraft. are always continuously on charts yeah. as well. I, I, that's it. It's it's a perfect yeah. one too. Because as well, yeah. GTA Online, like the one thing you're, you're like, you're guaranteed there as well. Like all my friends probably already have GTA 5 and GTA, like every month or two is adding more and more stuff to that online. Like the, the amount of stuff you can do in that online mode is absolutely bananas at this point. It's just, it's just fucking and it's still growing. nuts. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely ridiculous, but fair fucking play to them. Uh-huh. We'll see. I'm very intrigued to see how Red Dead Redemption 2 does next year. Yeah. Because it won't, it won't come this far. It, it won't. It can't. No, nothing can do, do like this juggernaut. No, I, I. This feels like a real lightning in the bottle kind of yeah. thing. You know, like I think, I think Red Dead will probably blow most games of 2018 out of the water sales wise because sure. it's Rockstar and they know what they're fucking doing, and because Red Dead Redemption was one of the most beloved games of last generation. But still, it's. It, this is quite something. Um, the Bandicoot, the Bandicoot is still about. Um, he's doing all right, you know. Yeah, it it's beaten Splatoon two to number one in the charts. He's been making some coin. Yeah, uh, but like apparently is like just neck and neck this week pipped uh, Splatoon two to the the head of these the UK charts. Uh, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, the UK charts. Um, yeah, you you haven't got the 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 insane trilogy yet, have you? No, you no. I that. I might wait and see if um it drops like ten quid. Which I'm probably sure it will. I'd say if you can hold out to like the the, the oh, PSX sale at, in December. Yeah, Jesus. Well, even that, all the Black Friday sales. Yeah, it'll probably yeah. drop like ten, fifteen quid. I'll mm-hmm. pick it up then. Yeah, uh, like do you remember those ridiculous deals that were going on like Titanfall right after it came out, where it dropped to thirty quid. Well, for Black Friday. I feel that that was maybe. Well, no, Titanfall two. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Is there? There was probably kind of reasons for that. And well, the game being sent out to die, being yeah. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, the the top ten, I'll just read it read it from ten to or from one down to ten, uh, for for last week, just for the weekend ending July twenty second. Quite interesting because because there's a there's quite a few games here that have been holding on, uh, for quite a while in this chart. Uh, Crash Bandicoot number one, Splatoon two number two, Grand Theft Auto five <laughs> number three, Mario Kart eight Deluxe number four, Overwatch over a year on from that coming out at number five. Breath of the Wild, out since March, still holding on there at number 6. Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, with friend of the show Jack Lazell is at me to try and get, but that's that's not happening, is at number 7. FIFA 17, nearly a year since it came out, is at number 8. That's a bizarre one to me, because with the new one announced and coming out in the middle of September, I would have thought that people would go, do you know what, I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait two months. Uh, number 9, Fallout 4, funnily enough two years on from that game coming out but that game like there was a double discount sale on that on the um on the playstation where it was discounted and then if you had ps plus it got discounted again so i would say that probably has something to do with it possibly and then lego worlds the, uh minecraft but with actual lego i keep forgetting that that's number 10 apparently it's okay it's just not minecraft oh yeah <laughs> um so that rounds out your top 10 <laughs> telltale games did what they themselves as well as everybody else was saying they were never going to do so they did their own version of kind of like a nintendo direct uh in the build-up to comic-con last week it was they were calling it their summer 2017 update but it was basically a telltale direct 
and announced their their kind of their slate of content uh, starting kind of this year and into 2018. Uh, we knew that uh, season two of Minecraft Story Mode, which is apparently very good, uh, has started up. We know that um, season three of The Walking Dead is just finishing, I think, or just finished. And Guardians of the Galaxy as well is about halfway through and heading towards finish. So the three big headlines here are Walking Dead. They're doing another season of that and it will be the final season of Telltale's Walking Dead, which I think a lot of people will be happy with because, you know, rather go out and finish Clementine's story before it starts really taking the mick. And yeah, then they I, can move on to something else. Game of Thrones season two. Game I haven't, I haven't heard as much about... Um the walking dead past the first series which i think i think season two took the wind out of a lot of people's sails i I think it was a combination of being a lot of people being introduced to that style of gameplay Mm. um and from all accounts of what i've heard about it that the first series of um that game or that that story was was near perfect very well executed yeah yeah. Yeah. it's still the best one they've done Mm. um then we have season two of batman which um if that game can work from a tech- technical perspective this time, because I think that was one of the best written Telltale games, and their games, one thing I will say, we give it about their engine all the time on here, but one thing I will never fault is that the writing in these games is spot on almost every time out. And I felt like Batman, both aesthetically, when it did work, and in the writing, really felt as close to playing a game based on Batman the Animated Series as I may ever get. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. Do you feel like they're stretching themselves out a little bit too thin with the amount of stuff being worked on or coming out? That's why I'm kind of glad that Walking Dead is ending because mm. like that's one project off done, um, and there's no talk of a season two of uh, Tales from the Borderlands because it's in 2K's hands now, who are, from what rumors say, really struggling to get Borderlands three out the door. Mm. So that's. Mm, uh, we may not hear for a long time about if Tales from the Borderlands Season 2 ever happens. Um, the final thing, and this was very much appealing to you want to talk about, it was the one-two punch of this and Walking Dead that really brought Telltale into the, the kind of the headlines. And that is we're going to get Season 2 of Wolf Among Us. Um, Wolf Among Us, which is a game I only got to this year properly. Um, finally, I got, I got my platinum on it and stuff like that. Again, it's based on the the Brian K. Vaughan uh, Fables comics, uh, which are really good. Um, It was an incredible season writing-wise, and by the time, I don't know if it was technically working at the time, but it definitely is now, (laughs) with all whatever patches I downloaded it with. Um, It it seemed for the longest time, because it's been three years since that came out, I think, two, three years. Um, It seemed a lot like wasn't gonna happen. Um, they went real quiet on it. Um, but yeah, they're doing a season two of it. They confirmed really nothing about it, only that they had the, the voice actors of Big B and Snow in the trailer indicating that it is going to follow those characters again because a lot of the conjecture was if they ever did a season two, it would be with completely different characters. So, yeah. Any thoughts on this kind of big, like it's a... Nope. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I'm not your wingman, your go-to You tried man. to pass the baton to Mark so that you could take a sip of water because your throat is dry and you get, nope. Well, you know what? You shouldn't have given me fucking Telltale to work with. I'm trying to give you the office, man. Um, I'm afraid that just 
Toto, it's it, yeah, it's not your not style of game. It's not not your style of game. Um, but yeah, I'm sure a lot of Telltale fans but, will hey, be very I, happy. I've I've heard good things about um, The Wolf Among Us. I, I hear people are a fan, and so good. I you know I've heard people really want that second season. So uh, good for you. I hope it I hope it works. Um, the first Pokemon Go fest <laughs> was staged last weekend in Chicago. Which was think, it? Was it really? Uh, uh, I think it was in theory. It's a great idea. idea. It's a celebration. Uh, a celebration, an idea to do live events to get people together in the community. People were flying from different countries or across the US to go to this in let's, Chicago. Let's just let's when take Andrew a step Goldfarb back. of IGN flew to Chicago for this, he was let's super excited. Take a step back to think about this. Mm-hmm. People flying to another country for a mobile phone game. Yeah. That's how crazy the Pokemon Go community is. Fucking that if you can make events that work, this could have been a sustainable thing. Well oh, What yeah. happened, Mark? Uh well it didn't work. No. <laughs> there were connection issues. Connection issues, things changing on the fly. Uh they had to end the whole thing a day early. Um It's so sad. They they unlock legendary Pokemon just as gonna go, please don't hurt us. There's great video, I don't know if you saw, of one of the dudes from Niantic taking the stage of Pokemon Go Fest and being booed. <laughs> and people chanting, fix the game. Oh, man. Now, here's the thing, right? Um, having, as I've mentioned a number of times before, and there, I've seen some tweets today about this, um, or in regards to something else. One of the things that infuriates me more than nothing else, and I work in you know customer support for... Uh, an online multiplayer uh, RPG type game and stuff like fixing servers is no fucking easy feat and it does do my head in when I see players come and obviously you know they have a right to be frustrated if it's a game they've paid money for which isn't the case with Pokemon Go Um, and they just want to play the game and they want to enjoy the game I get that I get that frustration but to just be like I just fix the game as if I can just fucking, or a developer can just snap oh, just their fingers. Pre- I'll, I'll just press the big I'll just fix press, button. I'll press the fix button and that'll I, work. I, I, you know. I would suggest the problem is more that they knew based on kind of, um, they would have had an idea based on interest and based on the fact that they were running the event that maybe they would need additional servers to handle everybody in one localized environment trying to connect to the yeah, game. Yeah, that's the thing. The problem is when you have something to do with connectivity, it's about spikes, yeah. you know? Once it was fucked, then you kind of can't, like, you understand, right, they can't exactly fix this any quicker than they're trying to. But the fact that it got fucked in the first place is the problem because they really should have future-proofed against what was fairly inevitable. Yeah, but the problem is, is you can't really do, like, a beta test run with something like this, you know? No, but at the like at the same time, you can like create additional servers to carry the load. This is true, especially like based on they were selling tickets to this fucking thing, so they probably had a good idea how many people were going to be at it. Yeah, you know, like like you never want to completely slate a developer, but in this case, I think no, 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 no. I I get that. Uh, Here's the thing: Um, you only get to do something like this the first time once. You know, uh-huh. so like even if it ended up being a waste of money and they didn't need all the oh, I can confirm it's a complete waste of money. But you know, but that's no, the point. I mean, like they, if they didn't, if Niantic didn't even need all the safeguards that they should have put in place, 
still it would have paid dividends because if the event had run completely smoothly then that was a platform for subsequent events around because i think the whole plan is a touring roadshow of these events dotted around the world yeah which is a great idea and yeah. kind of plays off the, the kind of thing that they used to do where you could go and pick up a, a mew in like a toys r us in yeah. swindon yeah. which is what me and jack once did when we were 19 <laughs> because we are the coolest kids in town sure yeah uh so it, you know it plays off of that kind of thing and that's a fucking great idea but i would probably suggest do it with half the fucking people next time um and yeah just try it and if possible uh should be a once bitten twice shy sort of thing yeah yeah Absolutely. but here's the thing if they get it working and if they can get it working to a degree where this isn't the case and certainly works to begin with yeah. um they they're gonna make so much fucking money the uh the final uh news story for for this week is um is another positive boon for nintendo uh switch sales are at an impressive 4.7 million in just four months and uh, nintendo shifted 1.97 of them during april may and june despite limited stock being available worldwide that is that is worth noting that it probably would have sold considerably more were it not so fucking hard to get them still mm-hmm. um switch exclusive games are selling just as well breath of the wild still leaves a pack 3.92 million copies of that game sold although it is also available on wii u although i would suspect the majority of sales are probably on Switch from people trying to abandon that sinking ship as quickly as possible of the, the Wii U. It seems to me like if, you, if you're if you a Wii U person, you're probably someone who would want a Switch. And you're going to wait until you get the Switch for Zelda. That yeah. would be my guess. I have to say, um, friend of the show, Bae Lad, I felt very oh, bad. The, the the roller coaster ride he went through trying to get a switch. I just want to say, right? I walked into my local GameStop. I went, "Can I get my switch that I pre-ordered?" He brought one out. I paid for it, and I went home. Yeah, it was great. See, I think part of it, like you, uh, kind of almost unintentionally went in and got you got the Splatoon bundle, didn't yep. you? Whereas Barry was just going in and getting a switch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas, like it, you know, the Splatoon bundle will be stocked. Like it's almost may as well be a separate product because they would go right. Splatoon bundle is coming in, but they're not going to sell any of those to the people that are just pre-ordering. Yeah, a Switch. I, either or though. My my yeah. point still stands that in terms Poor of fucker. in terms of stress of buying one, yeah, I was at zero percent. Mm-hmm. Um, Nintendo's coffers have had a positive few months as well. The company earned 154 billion yen, which is 1.5 billion pounds sterling, over the past three months, making it the most profitable quarter for Nintendo since 2011. Uh, that equated to some 21.3 billion yen in profit, which is 146 million pounds. A huge turnaround from 168 million loss this time last year. That's They have, like, the U-turn Nintendo's business has made since this Switch has come out is fucking miraculous. Uh, and it's I like the Switch Wii U never much. happened. Isn't it? Um, let us move on now to a very brief release date roundup. Pretty much just one release to talk about here, and it's one that Mark's very excited about. Uh, Overcooked on Switch is coming out. It's coming out... Today, uh, on the day that the podcast comes out. It's that day, 27th of July. Yes. Uh, I didn't play... I haven't played it uh, first time around. Have you? I feel like you've played it briefly. Um, God, where was it I played it? I think my cousin had it. 
and I've played it a little bit. I don't own it, but yeah, it's it's. I, I would like to play a lot more of it. Yeah, so it's, I hear it, it, it like it's a lot of fun. quite enjoyable. And so it's fifteen ninety nine in pounds sterling, which probably equates to about nineteen ninety nine on the Euro store. Uh, I would guess. Yeah, so uh, I'm probably gonna pick that up, and then we can play some of that because that will probably be quite fun to play in a multiplayer setting. Ba boom. So, cool. Yeah, that's that. Um, Woof. Let us move to the, the the kind of the anchor feature of Link to the Cast, and that is the Link to the Cast book club, where we talk about an important game, whether uh, because it was great or because it was just significant, that we think you should either look at for the first time if you've never played it before, or maybe pick back up again if it's been a while. Uh, and this week is no exception, as we talk about Crazy Taxi. Hey, hey, come on over, have some fun with Crazy Taxi! Crazy Taxi is an open-world racing video game developed by Kenji Kano and his team at Hitmaker and published by Sega. It is the first game in the Crazy Taxi series. The game was first released in arcades in 1999 and then was ported to the Dreamcast in 2000, God bless its soul. Gameplay is based on picking up taxi customers and driving, their des- driving them to their destination as quickly as possible. Reception to Crazy Taxi has mostly been positive. It was ported to other platforms numerous times including the PlayStation 2 and Nintendo GameCube by acclaim in 2001, god bless their soul, and then Microsoft Windows in 2002. The game has also been re-released for the PlayStation Network, Xbox Live Arcade, iOS and is featured on the Dreamcast Collection. Became one of the few Sega All-Stars on the Dreamcast and also earned greatest hits and player's choice status on the PlayStation 2 and GameCube respectively. Sega followed up on the success of Crazy Taxi with numerous sequels, the first being Crazy Taxi 2 for the Dreamcast, which included several gameplay changes. So, this is our first jump and journey into the world of the Dreamcast. What which, a curious and crazy world the Dreamcast was. I gotta say, I can't imagine we, it. We can't not talk about the Dreamcast when we talk about this. I can't imagine it what it'll be a place we'll be coming back to often. No, I can think of maybe two more. Here's the thing. I owned a Dreamcast, but the only one I ever owned never actually worked. Ah. Um, I bought it for the purpose of my girlfriend at the time was a big fan of Fantasy Star 2 Online. Ah. And so go. I bought one for us to play it, and yeah, the fucking thing didn't work. Mm. So, but one of the games that I did play, not on my Dreamcast, but on someone else's, and played a lot of it in the arcade, and then played a lot of it on the PS2, Two. Yeah. is Crazy Taxi. Um, I, I, just a... Just a... A brief word. Do you, do you want to talk about the Dreamcast? We I can just, talk about the Dreamcast. I just love that, like, I, I, I think there's a lot of people going, oh, we were awful mean to the Dreamcast, weren't we? We probably shouldn't have been. Like, the Dreamcast for its time, I think the Dreamcast t- timed itself all wrong. I don't think people were necessarily ready nor understood the leap that was being made in the Dreamcast. And, 
some of the things on it were really great and some of the ideas the Dreamcast had were really great. Uh, I just... It ultimately ruined Sega as a... As, like, it ended the console wars of the 90s in as mo- as spectacular a fashion as possible. Anything. I think they could have had... Um, uh, they could have had a console that would perform sexual favours on you and it still would have been annihilated by the PS2. That you come up against that juggernaut and it's going to it's not going to go well for you. But There, there are two reasons why the Dreamcast failed spectacularly, right? Mm-hmm. The first one is that Metal Gear Solid 2 was on the way. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, feel, I can't remember where I read it, but it's like the Dreamcast came out the Christmas before and no one fucking bought it because they're like, you know what, we would rather wait those extra six to eight months for the PS2 because I think Zone of Enders had come out beforehand uh, by some period and had the yeah. demo for the MS, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. So that alone, that was the death knell for the Dreamcast. Yeah. But here's the thing, right? Between 1990 and 1999, we had the Mega Drive. There was still some support for the Master System as well. Mega CD. Uh, the Mega Sega CD. There was the Sega 32X. Mm-hmm. There was the Sega Saturn. <sighs> there was the cancelled but planned Sega Neptune, which was just yeah. a standalone Sega 32X. Uh, uh, there was another, another reference to my weird childhood, but I used to see Sega Saturn um, adverts all the time in my issues of Sonic the Comic. Uh-huh. And boy, did they make it sound like it was the coolest thing in the world. Was the Saturn the one that they had just announced at E3 and went, "Yeah, it's out tomorrow." I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like you dumb motherfuckers. Yeah, because the Saturn was out in '96. Yeah, it must have been so. around the same time as the PS uh, One. And here's the thing as well: like you think about um, the time span in in uh, console generations, like right? Because I'm thinking, because I've heard rumblings about the PS Five, and I'm thinking, oh, it's way too soon for the PS Five. Yeah. But the but PS4 as soon came as out- like they keep doing that, like as soon as the new one comes out, they just all like, oh, they're already planning it. Like of course they're fucking already but, planning it that's what R&D departments do but the PS4 came out in what 2014 or 2014 20... yeah uh, uh, October November so that will probably be 5 or 6 years in the lifespan because the November, PS, November PS3 November. was 5 or 6 years but for me the PS3 felt like it was a lifetime just because I was a lot younger where now I'm getting old and the sands of time are, are falling faster and faster because of the inevitable midlife crisis the Saturn was 1995 it was 95 yeah so it was the same year as okay. the, the Playstation so it had a four-year lifespan but the problem i think with the saturn was just in between the mega drive and the saturn you had the bullshit with the 32x and the sega cd and that turned a lot of people off all of that combined with the aforementioned uh metal gear solid 2 it just it was dead the killer app. it was dead on arrival yeah. you know it was just dead on arrival but the dreamcast has stood the test of time in terms of being the innovator of uh, some very weird ideas, yeah. being the first console to really kind of utilize internet functionality, yeah. uh, and just having some really fucking weird games. Strong shit at the wall. Really is just throwing um, shit at the wall. And another another fun, you know, like it's the, the only time I've played a Dreamcast is my, there's a cousin of mine who is kind of like an obsessive collector of hardware and software. And is the kind of guy who buys two of everything and keeps one unopened. Yes, you do. To this day, he has a sealed Dreamcast. <laughs> he got. He has two Dreamcasts. Fucking hell. He tried to... I'm not going to name the cousin or anything like this, but he tried to sell a bunch of his shit because he was moving... Like, he has a family now. He's in his 30s. Yep. He has a family now and he was moving into he his made house. That and he was like, I need to like start selling a bunch of this shit because it was like... It was becoming... 
yeah. just logistically nightmarish to store all this stuff properly. Like Jeff Gersman levels. Of, like you seen that guy's <laughs> gr- garage. Uh-huh. Um, and he tried to sell a bunch of his shit and eBay shut him down because they thought he was running some sort of scam oh. because he was trying to sell so much shit that oh, was shit. so expensive. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, if you think like the collector's value for sealed consoles, yeah, yeah. like it is so hard to get an old console that has never been played. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. That, that's... But, like, uh, the only time I played Crazy Taxi on console was in on his Dreamcast, very briefly. And it would have been when that game came out, so I was very young. Uh, you're going to be taking the lion's share of this, because the most I've played of Crazy Taxi is in arcades. And even then, only sparingly, because we don't have a lot of arcades around here. Like, we've token now in the last couple of months, which does have a Crazy Taxi machine. Hey. Uh, we should have gone there for research. I definitely should have. I actually was there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, like, I remember me... Uh, Jack Biggs Niner um, we all that was kind of the 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 our summer of punk if you will you know <laughs> uh, we had Crazy Taxi we had SSX uh, 3 we had uh, Tony Hawk's yeah. um, you know just, it, was, it was your X game summer <laughs> it really was yeah Aggressive Inline there's another one um, the thing with Crazy Taxi is actually explaining it and analyzing it takes about five minutes because there's yeah. not a lot to it but yeah. that's kind of the beauty of it yeah it really is um it's a peter wellington game you know <laughs> it's it's not a game that would ever see the light of day as a physical release in 2017 you know mm. it's it's a 10 quid on switch digital download uh fuck around with it for 10 minutes at a time kind of game yeah. and for what it is it's about as kind of pure perfect arcade bliss as you can get all right so the, the very simple concept is uh, you're a taxi driver and you need to pick up people and you need to take them to their destination yeah. in the quickest amount of time that you can. Yeah. And you get... But, like For people who haven't played Crazy Taxi, the best way I would kind of explain it to them was, because most people have played it, the taxi side missions on GTA. But even are more very, mental. Yeah, but that's like, they're very... Th- those side missions are very bare bones crazy taxi inspired yeah, yeah but you have to understand that the driving is uh-huh. a lot looser yeah yeah you know um it doesn't aspire to the uh heaviness of gta 4's driving shall we say yeah yeah um which is one of the the, the, the parts of gta 4 that i will admit is not fully developed um, but you get ranked on Feels like you're driving in a fucking ubisoft game underwater yeah yeah, uh, yeah so, exactly Take a well, yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, so you get ranked on every uh, customer that you take to their destination, and I can't remember if, if it's from like S to E or A to E, or whatever. But you uh, get time added to your overall time, and that slowly ticks down, and you kind of lose a couple of seconds on every uh, customer you drop off. So you yeah. really want to be getting your customers there as quickly as possible, while avoiding traffic and finding shortcuts along the way. Uh, and that is pretty much it. But it's not a game that's built with longevity in mind because it is an arcade game first and foremost. Yeah. But in the world of uh, arcade ports, which it goes even back... even uses, I believe, like arcade terminology, like free play and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as close to just ripping, you know, yeah. the, the CPU from an arcade box and just shoving it into a Dreamcast. Mm. Um, and, you know, like arcade ports have been going on for as long as you can think of you know but if you play crazy taxi in the arcade and play 
the Dreamcast version or the PS2 version. They're about as similar as you can get, other than I think... I can't rem- remember where it was that they had to take because they use uh, the Offspring and Bad Religion. That literally has like two or three fucking songs in the entire game. Yeah. Like I, I have fucking what's your man's name from uh, the Offspring? Oh, Jesus. Dexter. Dexter. Pond. I just have him going, yeah, 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 yeah. Da, na, 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 na. That's another thing. Like, this era of games is where you start getting the, because now, because of CD technology, you have the, the capability of having a full licensed soundtrack that isn't just chip tunes. Well, you say full. Again, it's like two or three songs. Yeah, but you know, like, relatively speaking, like, for the time, I was like, fuck, the, the offspring in this game? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, it's, um... um but you tell you what, for the the only the couple of songs it has in there, every yeah, single Holland. every yeah, yeah, very good. Every single time that you start another round, like as soon as that song kicks in, like right, fucking, just get me in the taxi unless you know, just get on it. Yeah. Um. One of the things, and I haven't really ever thought about it until I was reading up about the game today. The game is one of the first times that uh, I think product placement was really heavily incorporated. Yeah, yeah. And it's about as liberally used as I think, even to this day, I've ever seen in a video game. Because yeah. you get asked to drop people off at, uh, I think there's Pizza Hut, um, I think there's KFC. I, I, where is it? It had it's a, like a fucking demolition man with the Taco Bell. <laughs> uh, Tower Records, uh, Levi's Store. You know, it, it's kind of insane. And I never really thought about it. And it makes sense in terms of... Uh, the game being in arcades, I kind of get it, um, but I was surprised that, that carried over into the home console releases. It was stripped away from like the newer releases, like iOS and stuff. Uh, kind of like, what was the deal with uh, with Wave Race sixty four? Wave Race uh, was it Kawasaki? Kawasaki Jet Skis, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was removed from because the licensing deal expired. Yeah, so was that removed from was it the, the Virtual game, Console? The Virtual Console. It job. was on Wii, wasn't it, or was it Wii U? It was Wii U that started doing uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the N64 games, yeah. So, yeah, that's... Honestly, like, that is pretty much Crazy Taxi in a nutshell. Like, yeah. you only have to It's play not one it. of those ones where we can talk for ages about the, the, the layers that this game has. No, it's not an onion of a game. It's, it's a complete surface... Very much, it, yeah, it's complete surface it, it, Like, level. when we say arcade, we mean it in, in all the connotations that arcade comes. Like, it's, it's playable... Easily playable, pick up and play. Yeah, but it's geared toward short sessions and not that much depth. But it's massively fucking addictive. Yeah, you yeah. know, massively popular as well. Like it, 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 there's a crazy taxi community. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, and like I've been the three times I've been to Token, I've been with three different crowds. Um, and a couple of those crowds don't know each other at all, and all three of those crowds, none of them hung out when they were around the age when Crazy Taxi came out. And all of them popped huge for the Crazy Taxi Machine, more than almost anything, you know, uh, in, in that arcade in Token. So, like, it, it goes to show that people have, despite the fact that no one really had a fucking uh, Dreamcast, um, I, I think the, 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 the arcade machines and the, the PS2 port, I think, have a lot to say, and it's still being very fondly remembered today. Yeah, I do remember, um, actually, there was, uh, like, some minigames. Um, I remember there was one where you can uh, use the taxi like a bowling ball. Yeah. Um, and it was something, I think it was something with, like, using balloons in a field or something. So they did add a, a few other bits and pieces. But for the most part, it was just designated around, you pick between, like, um, 
three to ten minutes in terms of how long you have to just kind of get as many uh, customs in as you can or you had like the uh, original arcade version which was just you start off with a minute and you just try and build up as much time as you could uh but you know the actual mechanics what you're doing is the same either way just one was just the time is constantly ticking down and the other one you're trying to build up as much time as possible i've never sat down to watch i don't think i've ever seen um like an arcade games done quick or summer games done quick no awesome games done quick sorry i've never seen any of them do crazy taxi that i'm aware of because it's not like a time limit time yeah kind of game it's more like a high scores sort of thing but i'd be interested to see if there is anything online um with some maniac that plays it for like five hours straight because uh, they're probably around somewhere um yeah that's kind of it with crazy taxi like is there anything that you would i suppose the the main flaw you would probably point towards and it is like a characteristic that makes it so great as well is the fact that there isn't really that much to get you involved in a long play session because it is very right. surface level if you're a 2017 gamer who's used to the 20 hour plus experiences from your games this might not be the one for you this would be like to keep in the mindset of like the way i use fifa where it's cooled Go in, drop in, play a session, leave. I tell you what, right? And I said this earlier: Crazy Taxi on the Switch. Yeah. Right? You bang that on there, and then you give me that so I can play it for like ten minutes on the go. Yeah. It's you could easily do like a like a split screen with the two, the yeah. two Joy Cons. Like, have you kind of like competitively try and get the most fares in the quickest time? Yeah, you could do something like that. The controls are simple enough, really. It's yeah. Just you know, go and stop. Yeah. So it would right. it would be. Like it would work on the little joy cons. Absolutely feasible on the little yeah. joy cons, yeah. Um but yeah, I, I think that'd be perfect on, on the switch to on you know, if I'm on the train and I got fifteen minutes to spare, I could bang out a game or two of Crazy Taxi in no time. Um but yeah, like in terms of depth or a career mode or anything like that, it's no, it's not there. It's not what the game is made for. It is as noted, a complete street port of the arcade version. Um and I love the fact that it doesn't add any bells or whistles, you know. Um, yeah, just one of those proper nostalgic heavy games for me from being a teenager. Uh, give, give me your, your elevator pitch then to, to end it. So Crazy Taxi is one of those games, as noted, that you would never see a physical release for today. Um, just because of the way... like. If you want to talk about how much kind of content is there, you're looking at about half an hour, if that. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those games that comes back to that word, replayability. And it's heavy on replayability, because it's a a score attack based game. Um, It's been released, as noted, on uh, Xbox Live and the PSN network. Um, It'd be great at some point to see it. I mean, it is still owned by Sega, as far as I'm aware, so... Uh, a switch release at some point wouldn't be a miss um if you like kind of quick blasts of uh arcade goodness um it's certainly worth having a look at if you like the more simulated type driving games of gran turismo and dirt it's probably not for you but if you want something that is fast-paced maniacal proper kind of summary punk rock it is absolutely worth a look at 
that is crazy taxi our uh, book club for episode 75 we've one last bit of business and that's uh, my turn to pick a game for this week and i'm going with a classic of our adolescence mark i'm taking us back to october of 2004 to take you through one of the defining games of of our adolescence one of the defining games for the platform it was on uh and a real kind of like still i think a staggering achievement for the technical limitations of its generation uh next week on the show on episode 76 i want to talk about grand theft auto san andreas hey uh, that is one with, in so many ways, there is a lot to unpack about that one. So I think it's going to be a big book club next week. How many GTA games have we done? This is the second one. We did Vice City. We've done Vice City, so we yeah. haven't touched. We haven't five, done. Four. We haven't done three or or even the original or the original. Which has its place? Yeah, we haven't done. Yeah, it's just Vice City. We've done as far as I okay because I don't remember doing GTA three. I think GTA 3, Vice City, and San Andreas would have been the first ones we would have gone to. I feel like we may have... We'll have a look. But yeah, yeah sure, we've done We've done one anyway. I'm pretty sure it was Vice City, because that's I know probably we've still my favourite yeah, yeah. Grand Theft Auto game. But yeah, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which I've actually... Spoilers, if you had been watching my activity feed on PSN this week, you would probably know that this was going to be what I was going to say, because I have put in about 15 hours into it this week just fired it up randomly i wasn't even thinking that we could do it for this week and played the like the opening hour of that game i was like oh yeah i love this game do you know that'd be great what san andreas on the switch <laughs> you just keep on hitting that <laughs> it's available nice and cheap and you can get it on on um android now it's a fuck jeez. Yeah. I I think I will di- talk about this more next I week. I think I did buy GTA three on my iPhone years ago. And it's I was on like, iOS as well. And I was like, nope, this doesn't fucking work. Yeah, yeah. At all. So GTA San Andreas uh, for episode seventy six of the podcast. That is gonna do it for episode seventy five of Link to the Cast. Uh, this podcast, as I said at the top of the show, is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, most podcast platforms. Uh, just please search Link to the Cast. Subscribe to us on there. It's, it's really important that we, we get those subscriptions in, that you're getting that podcast dinging down to you every week uh, and you aren't missing an episode. Uh, rate us on there if your podcast app has a rating system. Please do give us a rating, a review on there. Really does help us get the word out there. And, and do tell a friend because it's... It, I, I think um, sharing a podcast with somebody is like the kind of the, this this generation's equivalent to going, oh, have you heard this new album? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so word of mouth is really important for podcasts like us that are trying to kind of build out an audience. So please do uh, tell a friend. It really does help more than you know, and we very much appreciate it. Uh, the website is linktothecast.eu. If you want to get in touch with us, we do have an email address. It's linktothecast at gmail.com. But social media is probably the place you can hear from us quickest and keep up to date on what we're doing facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on twitter individually i am at dave ryan iv and mark is at lithium project on the tweet machine we stream over at link uh, we stream video sometimes over at twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast archive those streams later on youtube if you just search for link to the cast all one word or separately it should get you to the channel pretty quickly on that first page of results over on youtube we have a weekly video schedule that mark actually remembered this week <laughs> of his own accord it was actually i was logged into the youtube to see if there was any of your ones i could post because i i thought you had forgotten and literally i got the pop on my phone that it had come up so i was like oh, 
Fireballs. Yeah, um, it was handy. Uh, Titanfall 2 was on sale for 15 quid on the yeah. PS4. So Mark on Mondays this week, the, the solo play series that Mark does is Titanfall 2. Yeah, that will keep me going for, I'd imagine, a good five or six episodes. Yeah, I think it's about an eight hour. Eight hours? Six, I thought it was shorter than that. Maybe six. Yeah. Maybe six. I, okay. can't remember. I can't remember. It was December when I played that game. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, it's a really good game. Gets better the longer you go. Like about halfway through, it goes fucking nuts. Good. And um, yeah, Wednesday then is Retro Corner 64, the series where we have given ourselves the arduous task of playing through every single Nintendo 64 game that was released in uh, English-speaking territories in chronological order. This week, Mark, is Doom 64, where I have a lot of uh, chat about how it's Doom, but not quite. Uh, in that uh, I would also urge people to check out, because I didn't realize last week was the week that was going up, uh, Turok Dinosaur Hunter was the one that went up last week. And I think it includes one of the greatest string of tangential conversations I have ever been party to in my life, where we start the podcast, we start the stream talking about Turok Dinosaur Hunter and end it talking about former notable contestants on early UK Big Brother series via horror movie franchises and reboots yep we got there yeah we we made it there uh so enjoy that and enjoy doom 64 this week uh thursday is the day this podcast comes out it's the only thing that comes out that day it's usually 90 minutes to two hours worth of content so we don't want to spoil you by giving you too much on that day just the podcast for thursdays friday is friday plays my solo series where i am playing through oxen free at the moment which is this really kind of like halfway between it's like if a stranger things game was designed by the night in the woods people that's my best synopsis for it yeah i need to get that game and play it i was gonna play it as well on a stream and then i was like no do you know what this feels like a game i want to play by myself and not be waiting to stream it yeah it's not oxen free is very much that game it's too late now i'm gonna have to just carry it through i did start with night in the woods but i realized just it's not a game that's conducive to that yeah pretty much um but yeah that's uh that's pretty much going to do it for episode 75 of Link to the Cast. I have been Dave Ryan. That man over there has been Mark Robinson. It's really warm. Let's open the window and we'll see you all next week.